Welcome to the Five Freedom Show. My name is William Wood. And my name is Christian Vesterfeld. And we're here to help you find the freedom that you've long deserved. We believe that there are five basic freedoms that every human being deserves. We believe that these five freedoms can be cultivated. We're here to entertain you. We're here to inform you. We're here to help you take your life to the next level. So if you're ready to have some fun, if you're ready to learn something new, then go ahead and crank up the volume because we're ready to rock and roll. So some of you have seen me talk about this, but even if you have, this is, this is like, a, I would consider this to be a critical, a critical review. There, there's a reason why certain principles keep on coming up like over and over and over again. It doesn't like you can go and attend seminars from 50 different people and they'll all talk about basically the same thing in a little different way, right? You might even go into some churches and find that they're talking about similar things and maybe they use different language or they explain it a little different way, but it's basically the same idea. And why is that? It works, right? And it's really, really important. So years ago, there was a uh, there was a famous uh, football coach. Now I'm not a huge football fan. Like I actually this year this is hilarious. It was the day before the Super Bowl and people were like, "You gonna watch the game?" And I thought they were talking basketball. And I'm like, you know, uh, who's playing? You know? And they're like, who's playing? You know? What what are you talking about? It's like, and I was like, yeah, is it like college basketball? And they're like, you idiot! It's the Super Bowl. I'm like, oh, is that tomorrow? I'm like, I have no idea who's playing. You know? So, um, yeah, I really had no clue. The super one. Oh yeah, isn't that where they like try to get a hole in one? You know, you know. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah. I have two kids that love love sports, but but um, so there's this football coach. Even though I'm not a football fan, I can appreciate good coaching. Uh, football coach uh, named Vince Lombardi. Um, but back in, back in the 70s, I think it was right. Incredible. Uh, Green Bay Packers and led the team to victory after victory after victory. How many Super Bowl championships did they win? Like four or five or something like that. I mean, it was. It was, an, it was a lot, right? Yeah. Well, I know the Pittsburgh Steelers have seven, and they're the most, so they've got to be below seven. Yeah, they're, they, they're below seven, but I think it was like four or five. I mean, it was incredible. I mean, one is awesome, right? I mean, very few coaches have one under their belt, and here's a guy who had multiple, um, you know, multiple championship, uh, uh, championship wins. So imagine this. He's got, a, he's got a football team that has just won the NFL championship the year before, and then he's bringing them back for their spring training. And this is how he opens up their spring training. He comes out with a football and he says, gentlemen, this is a football. And then he walks them out to the, to the field and he says, gentlemen, this is the end zone, right? And then he starts walking down and he starts describing the yard lines and he starts describing blocking and tackling most, most football teams during the time that he was, uh, he was uh, coaching had somewhere between 44 and 70 plays that they would run. His team had 13. He would give his playbook to the opposing coach before a game. And he would say, this is what we're running. See if you can stop us. What he did was focus almost exclusively on the fundamentals. Why? Because in the end, it is the fundamentals that makes the most difference. 
It is the fundamentals that makes the most difference. So even if you've heard, so if I'm going to tell you a couple other stories along these lines because I really want to drive this, this point home. Because I think that most of us, most of the time, overcomplicate stuff. One of my gifts is to simplify things, right? Now, every once in a while I get a little technical, right? But in the end, I bring things back to simple, 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 simple. Go ahead. Yeah, but, it, but it is. It's the basics. Yeah. So um, another metaphor. I, I did competitive judo for a number of years. Um, I was never a guy that would make it into the Olympic trials or anything like that, but I was, I was decent. I was decent at the local level. In 2005, I competed in the Oregon State Games. I was living in the Portland area. I'm sorry, not the Portland area, but the Grants Pass area, but the competition was up in the Portland area. And um, I took my weight class for, the, uh, for, for judo, so I was reasonably good, right? Now, are there people, there's probably somebody in here that could like beat me up, right? But like, you know, so like don't tackle me, you know, over the, you know, over the break or anything like that. Yeah, don't, don't test that, like turn around, don't hit me in the head, you know, it'll hurt, you know, and then I'll have a black eye and be trying to teach, but. But um, uh, that's the one with the sticks, right? No, judo is a grappling art. Oh, okay. So it's a grappling art. It's a it's an Olympic sport. But it, before it was an Olympic sport, it um, it was a form of basically a form of jujitsu. So in fact, Brazilian jujitsu is like judo pre nineteen twenties when it became when it started to enter into the into the uh, Olympics. So it's a grappling sport. So you win by doing one of three things. You win by Throwing and having both throwing somebody and having both of their shoulders hit the ground, right? Even soft or hard, right? So it could be like a body slam, or it could be like a really gentle throw them down and then put their shoulders on the ground, and that's an epon, a full point, and they and they go out, or you choke them until they submit or pass out, or you lock or break their arm, right? Now most people who compete aren't going to let themselves get their arm broke, right? And your goal is not to break their arm. Your goal is to put them in an arm lock, and then any reasonable person is going to tap out. Every once in a while, there's somebody who won't, and then you are allowed to break their arm, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, I've never had to break anybody's arm in a competition. Everybody's been smart enough to tap out. It's like when your arm gets locked like that, you're like, okay, this is stupid. I'm going to tap out, right? You know, it's like. Right, and it's not like cage fighting where you know you're trying to bloody the guy. You're just a, it's a. I consider it like a gentleman's fighting sport, right? So. Um, so when, when with my coach, one of my coaches was a, had been a former Olympic coach and I mean, years ago, he was like seventh degree black belt and he'd been around like a, a bazillion years. He only goes to nine, nine levels of black belt and they're real strict about who they advance past about, well, past about black belt. Right. Um, and so, uh, we would analyze um, tapes from the international competitions and from the, the Olympics. And how many throws were used in, uh, you know, in the international competition? Now, like in judo, I want to stop and say, in judo, there's something like 67 official throws, and every official throw has like five or six variant throws, right? So there's like hundreds of throws that you could do. But how many throws were actually thrown when you got to the level of like a national competition? Yeah. Like for ninety-five percent of the matches, it was like four. Ninety-five percent of the matches were won with four throws, same four throws over and over and over again, right? And then the other ten percent, there was probably another thirty or forty throws that were done, you know, based on people being in weird angles or maybe got lucky or somebody executed a really unique throw. But it's like four throws. Wasn't forty throws? Four throws, and then once it went to the ground, it was like 
three chokes and one arm bar that just kind of kept kind of kept on coming up over and over and over and over again, right? Why is that? It's like you have all these options. There's like, I don't know. I don't even know how many arm bars there are. Probably five dozen. But why does one arm bar keep on coming up? Why does, why does one choke keep on coming up? Because, yeah, there's, they're basics. They're the easiest thing. So one more story around this. Now, I'm, I'm, I am a guy, so the, the sports that I do enjoy are, tend to be uh, individual sports, martial arts especially. So I, also, I was a wrestler when I was, when I was younger. I don't look at it. I'm, I'm a weird build for a wrestler. I was never, again, awesome. I wasn't like a national champ, but I was decent, right? I was a decent wrestler. And, um, and so there was this wrestler a few years back that um, he, he like took all the national championships and he had one takedown, right? He did a double leg takedown. Like you would do the match with him. You would see him go into a match and you're like, he's gonna do a double leg takedown. He would shake hands with his opponent and say, I'm going to do a double leg takedown. He would, <laughs> right? See if you can stop me. Because what happened is, is when he was early, early on in his coaching, in his career, he couldn't take anybody down. And he went to his, but he was a reasonable wrestler, right? If he got somebody down on the ground, he was okay, but he just couldn't take him down. So he went to his coach and he says, what do I do? And his coach said, I would rather have you master one takedown and get indestructible with it than have you have too many options. And so he went to, well, and he asked his coach, he goes, well, in your opinion, what is the single best takedown to master? And he says, I think in this line of wrestling, which is like a collegiate style or what they call folk style wrestling here in, in Utah, he said, I think the best, the best takedown for your build and your size would be the double leg takedown. And so he practiced the double leg takedown something like, like literally like 100,000 times that year. I mean, just like more times than you, like yeah, like 1,000 times of practice. Just like every time he went in, just double leg takedown, double, until he could take anybody down with it, even if they knew it was coming, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, we're winding back around, we're winding back around to what we talked about yesterday, you know, with dealing with, dealing with goals. First thing is, is that your goal formula does not have to be very complicated. Your first job is to get clear on what you want. The first thing that will, will keep you from being able to get what you want is not defining it, right? If, you know, it's like Alice in Wonderland when she goes up and asks the Cheshire Cat, what do you want, you know, or, or I'm lost, which way should I go? And he says, where do you want to go? And she says, I don't know. And then he goes, anyway, we'll do. Right? So first thing you got to do is you got you to set a clearly defined goal. And goals fall into one of two categories. They fall into what I, what I call outcome goals, which is like a destination. I'm going to Chicago. How do I get there? The other type of goal is a process, process type goal. That's where you say, I don't really have a destination. My goal is to be inside the process. So I'm going to meditate every day for 30 minutes. I'm going to, um, uh, I'm going to, and there and there are people that work better with process goals. Uh, I, I have a good, mar I have a martial artist uh, uh, instructor um, from Wing Chun Kung Fu that I did back in college, and he did not set. Well, yeah, he actually said I don't set goals, but he was not accurate in saying that. What he, what he meant is he did not set outcome goals, but he did set process goals. So his process goal was, for example, I'm going to go work the wooden dummy today for five hours. And then he would go work the wooden dummy for five hours, right? Um, and, and that's more of a process goal. It says I'm going to show up and I'm going to do some kind of activity for a certain length of time and I'm going to master it. 
And that's okay too. So if you lean more towards process goals, and Vicky kind of does, at least where she's at right now, um, you can do that. But until you get clear on what you want, you're not going to get it, right? You're, you're not. If you're hoping to stay fuzzy and, and get an outcome, you're just fooling yourself. The second, the second barrier that gets a lot of people is they don't have a good plan. And we're going to talk about taking inspired action today, right? And, but then we're coming back around to what's the next thing. And, and the, these are like big, big patterns, big patterns. There's lots of little patterns that show up. But in terms of big patterns, I don't know what I want. Second pattern, I don't know how to get there. Third pattern, I know what I want. I know how to get there. And I am letting my own internal psychology master me, right? Anybody ever known how to get a goal and just not done it? Be honest. Come on, raise your hand. Yeah. Why? If it's possible, if you've defined it, if you know basically what you need to do and you don't do it, why is that? What got in your way? That's I. Yeah. That's I. This is back to Vince Lombardi. This is a football, right? So if you're going to go through goals, I've got bad news first. The bad news is you are likely to get in your own way if you don't actively manage that. And that's what today is all about, is how do you actively manage your own psychology as you're going for your goal. We're going to be kind of bringing up some stuff that we did yesterday. But really, my goal today is that by the time you leave, you have a systematic approach to managing your energy. So this is what, what I was talking about. So I started off earlier and then never finished my thought. And that wasn't ADD, maybe attention deficit benefit, but it was not ADD. <laughs> it's ADD. So, um, so this, is, this is my energy thermometer, right? And we drew this out yesterday. Low energy is like, I want to leave the planet, right? Please don't get there. If you get there, go check yourself into a hospital, okay? On the high end is, again, we, we talked about lighting your underwear on fire and standing on a chair and waving a flag or something like that. That's cool. She's going to be doing that tonight, right? You know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Woo! Girl on fire! Right? So, <laughs> so yeah, this is, I want to leave the planet, and this is like, you know, Tony Robbins, right? Tony, Motley Crue. Motley Crue or Will Wood when he's on one, right? I might get there today. We'll see. You know, really, you know? So if, if this is up here, the question is, you know, where do you run into problems? Do you run into problems at zero? Some of you don't. Some of you are okay if, you're, if you can like, do your action steps at zero. But where do, you, where do most of you stop doing your action steps? When you're below zero. Somewhere down here, <laughs> right? When your energy's high, when you're feeling good about you, when you know, when you know what you want and how to get there, and your energy's up here, you, you do your action steps, and then your energy might crash. And I have bad news again. <coughs> Guys, your energy's going to crash. You will have a bad day. Something will trigger you. The question is not if. The question is when. And the question is how long will you let yourself stay down there before you correct it? And do you have a good plan for correcting it? So that's what we need. That's where we need to start. All right. Go ahead. Zero is not bad. Right <laughs> well, here's what I will say. It depends on the type of goal you're going for. It really does. 
um, there are high energy, there are high energy places that you need to be in in order to get some goals. Okay, but it, it kind of depends on where you're at. Because so, like, let, let me just let me just take a little aside here for a minute. Um, if you live and for like, let's say I, I have clients who like for the last ten years have lived at like a negative eighty. If you're at a negative 80, is it a significant improvement to live at a zero? Yeah. Even if you get up to 70 or 60. Yeah, and, and that's where we're going, right? Mm -hmm. if, you're, if you lived at a negative 80, and all of a sudden you're living at a negative 40 most of the time. Celebrate. Yeah, that's like, <laughs> whoop, whoop. Okay, now we're going to get a little ridiculous. What if you go from a negative 80 to like a negative 70? And you really have moved like consistently like a like ten points. That is a freaking huge deal. Do you know that your whole life changes with about ten points? This is subjective measurement, but with about a ten point difference in your own energy level, your whole world is different. Um, that's a, that's yeah. a huge breakthrough. Yeah. That's a huge breakthrough. And this goes back to my metaphor yesterday, in talking about. Uh, well, while I was teaching my kids to navigate through the wilderness. When you're navigating through the wilderness, you can't look a mile in the future. You can't even see it. And for some of you, your goals are big enough that you're, you're trying to look like 10 years in the future. You're trying to see something that literally, when you try to imagine it, your brain can't even imagine. And so it's okay. It really is okay on the way to big things to fix your eyes on the next thing until you master it. And so for energy level, because if we're talking about being up and down, here's, here's the first big concept. Your energy level is a choice. And by the end of today, if I haven't proved that, I haven't done my job. Your energy level is a choice. You choose it. Now some people don't like it when I say that because they've lived in really dark places. There are things that can tank you, and we all get tanked, so I'm not blaming you for being wherever you're at. But what I'm saying is staying there is a choice. Now, sometimes to get out of it, you do got to get professional help, and I'm not, I'm not downplaying that. Some people, to get out of it, may even need medication or something like that. I'm not downplaying that either. I don't think that's most people, but I think there are some people that fall into that category. But staying there is a choice. So if you find yourself in a really deep dark hole, you can climb out. And I've seen too many people climb out of deep dark holes to believe that people have to stay there. Maybe there's somebody somewhere, but it's not you. You wouldn't be here if that was true. I don't believe that. Okay. So your energy level is a choice. And so you've got to have a systematic approach for moving this in order to, in order to be able to get your goals. I know for me, that to get most of the goals that I need, that I can't hang around zero when I'm in my uptime, okay? Uptime being like in a class. If I'm teaching a class from an energy level of zero, the class is not gonna come back, right? That makes sense? Um, I really can't teach a class and stay there too long below about a 50. Now, depending on what your goal is, if your goal is to, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to make an, I'm, I'm going to say something and then unsay it. Okay, if your goal is to be like a monk and live in a cave, you might be able to hang out at a zero. 
right? For a real long time. But here's the flip side. You meditate a bunch and your energy is not going to stay at a zero. Okay? So there's two, ways, there's two ways to move your energy. Or there's two different types of energies that will move your energy. One is what we call connecting with high amplitude states. And if, if that doesn't make any sense, these are what I call Tony Robbins states, right? You know, and, and I mean, I have great respect for the man. The man has done things that I don't think any other human being has done, at least that I'm not, not that I know about. Um, really some incredible things. He didn't invent most of what he did, but again, Tony's, Tony's talent is mastering a few things. If you look at what Tony does, he, he masters language. That's the first thing that he has mastered. And then he's really mastered, I would consider, two skills, anchoring and... The second one is, um, and this is related to anchoring, is state control. And he can change people's states really fast. Basically, those are the three things that he does over and over and over again. If you watch him, that's everything that he's doing. Language, states, anchoring. Language, states, anchoring. Language, states, anchoring. Language, states, anchoring. And he builds his whole events around those three things. Language, states, and anchoring. Language, states, and anchoring. And he's mastered the basics, really, of hypnosis is what that is. Right? Um, and so high amplitude states are high energy states. It's where you step into a place of power. You do things not to, not to wait for power to attack you, but you do things to step into power. And this is energy that operates off of getting big, getting loud, and getting into states like confidence, power, charisma. Woohoo! Woo right? I felt that coming. Yeah, didn't you feel it coming? Good, because we're going to use high amplitude states for the morning, right? But it's not the only way to change your energy level, because here's the thing that nobody talks about. There is such a thing as a high amplitude crash. Who knows what I'm talking about? Okay, you go to the seminar, you get really motivated, you get really high, and then about two days later, you're like peeling yourself off the floor, right? Because usually, so if this is your energy baseline, if you go to a high amplitude place, there is a corresponding correction that looks kind of like that. And then eventually you come back out like that. Okay, so, but this is what I call a high amplitude crash. So it is going high, 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 and then going So there is something you can do to prevent a high amplitude crash. And that is, is to also connect with what, what, what I call enduring states. I did not come up with this term. I first heard this description from a gentleman named John Overder. And I thought, he nailed it. He nailed it. And so I, bar I borrowed his language. Maybe I'll rename it at some point to make it, make it my own. But um, so far, I think he's done the best job describing the difference. So what is, like an, what is an enduring state of being? Something like deep peace. Who here has ever connected with like a deep, deep peace? How long does that last? Yeah. It can last a really long time, but it depends. Sometimes you just connect to it for like a moment. You step into it for a moment, right? Mm -hmm. Does there tend to be such a huge crash after something like that? Uh-uh, not usually. Can there be? There can be. I've seen it, but it's more rare. It's very subtle, like when you come out of that. It's like, yeah, it kind of just, yeah, it just kind of, it leaves, but it's not like it, it's not a, it's not this. It's not, <laughs> step into my realm, you know, that kind of thing, right? Okay. 
It's a, it's a more soft thing. So peace, D deep joy. I'm not talking about like ephemeral joy or like a high or something. I'm talking about like real expansive, high amplitude, not high amplitude, but like deep enduring joy. Like there's no crash out of that. It kind of fades. Or not. We can tap into them. And so depending on who comes to my classes and depending on who's in front of me, I talk about them a little bit differently. But, but let's just say that for now, there are enduring states and these things tend not to have a crash. And they might fade, but they don't crash so much. And so one of the ways, if you want to really keep yourself at a high energy level, is to blend them. You use a high amplitude state when your energy is tanked to get you up and then when you're up, you do things that connect you to enduring states. And that, what that tends to do is, and I haven't heard anybody describe this, but I think it's the best, it's the best thing that I've seen for myself and for my clients, is that if you, if you combine, even John Overdorf didn't talk about these things. If you connect, an, if you punch up with a high amplitude state and then you connect it to an enduring state, you, you don't tend to crash. You go up and then you have a floor. Does that make sense? And so here's the question, and this goes back to this is a football. How do you, how do you connect to an enduring state of being? What things help meditation. you? Meditation. Good. What else? Mindfulness, Mindfulness which, is a for, which is a form of meditation, or can be. Right? What else? Yep. yep. Just saying positive things. What is affirmations? Affirmations. Yeah. 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 Depending on how you do affirmations, affirmations can rely on a high amplitude state. We're going to do some high amplitude affirmations here in a little bit. <laughs> I think it's staying grounded. Yeah. Going out in nature. Nature. Yeah. 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 Earthing. Earthing. That's a pretty one. I don't know what that means, but it sounds awesome. It's like, it's like the, yeah. yeah. So, however you well grounding through nature is a really powerful one, mm -hmm. right? Um, meditation, mindfulness, which is kind of a brand of meditation. And uh, what else? What else works? This is, not a, this is not a short list. There could be hundreds of things in that list, but what's worked for you guys? Pets, animals. Yeah, right? Having a direct connection with a pet. Small children. Yeah, small children kind of, most small children kind of live in that space most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Don't they? Though? They do. Yeah, and I, I actually think that, I mean, like, from the, um, you know, except you become as one of these little ones, you yeah. won't enter into the kingdom of God. I think that's like a now type thing. They're living in the kingdom of God. Yeah. Now. Absolutely. Right? And it's like, that is how they are. They're just connected to those deep states of peace. Now, do they get out of them? Yeah, they move into, you know, crashed out states, and they moved into manic states if they have a lot of sugar or something like that, or a lot of TV. But, like, but like they live a lot of their life in just awesome land, right? That's why we all love, that's why most people love little kids, at least in small doses. <laughs> right? Go ahead. Okay, so looking for positive. Playing the, playing the glad game. Yeah, so th there's a, a gratitude. Gratitude practices are one of the most powerful ways to connect with, in, with enduring states, right? Doing gratitude journaling or other gratitude practices. There's been research on this. There's, a, there's, a, um, there's a, an institute out of California called the HeartMath Institute. 
and they use some of the, mo the most cutting edge technologies to measure the bioelectric field of the heart. And one of the things they find is that what they'll do is they'll get people into different emotional states and then they'll see, see like how much, not woo-woo energy, but like bioelectrical energy can they measure from the heart based on the emotional state. Mm -hmm. Do you know what the state is that has the, the highest, the, the largest field? Gratitude. Gratitude. And they can measure bio, with bioelectrically, they can measure the heart's electrical field out like 40 feet wow. when they're in gratitude. Now, when you're in a state of like guilt or shame or some of the other things, it's like they can barely register to like a foot. Isn't that wild? So you can choose to go into gratitude and spend time really deeply connecting with gratitude. Um, you know, other practices. Uh, um, well, yoga is basically mindfulness with painful stretching, right? <laughs> okay? Uh, I'm a yogi, so I can say that, right? So, so um, yeah, um, like Zen is, mi is mindfulness with sitting on a cushion, right? Um, some forms of Buddhism are mindfulness with walking or mindfulness with, you know, um, you know with, with other, other types of, of things. Uh, tantra is mindfulness with indulgence, right? So there's lots of different forms of, of mindfulness. And then on the, on the end of spirituality, prayer, right? Does anybody have a prayer practice? And does prayer connect you to like deep enduring states if you do? And there's different ways of praying. If you could talk to different people, some people will recite sacred words. Some people will have conversations with their higher power. Some people will um, speak in unknown languages. 